How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law, Thomas McCoy, and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Yes. Thank you, Tom. Tom, you know, for our, for our WATD audience, you need to know that Tom had to take a little sip of water so that he could prepare the vocal tonality that you just heard and experienced. Actually, Dr. Joe, it, this is a Polar Brands Diet Birch Beer. See, Ooh. I need a little, I need to add a little more zest to the presentation, so. <laughs> well, it certainly, certainly worked. Mark Stiles is not here tonight. He is attending a very important event and we miss him, but you know what? Uh, Tom is always there to like really just step right up. Would you introduce our guest, please? Yeah. Tonight, Dr. Joe, we have Hilde Grossman and John Land. Hilde Grossman is a clinical psychologist and jazz singer and has served as artistic director and producer for all upstage lung cancer productions. And this year, we'll be celebrating 15 years of life after being diagnosed with lung cancer. John Land is the USA Today bestselling author of 50 books, including 10 titles in the critically acclaimed Caitlin Strong series. He also wrote the 2005 film Dirty Deeds, starring Zoe Saldana, which has been downloaded over 50 million times to date. Welcome, guys. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We've got a lot of 50s here. Did you hear all of those three 50s? 50 years surviving, 50 books, 50 million downloads. This is awesome. 15 years of surviving. That's my bad, uh, my addiction. Uh, that's is, all right. It's okay. We've got a lot of fives here. we got 15. Fives, yes. <laughs> anyway, welcome, 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 guys. I am so thrilled to have you both here. Welcome. So, Hildy, let me let me just start with you. So, psychologist and jazz singer? Yes. Got to tell me about that. Why and not? Well, why not? <laughs> I think my whole life, I, I believe me, I'm not somebody who's into, like, astrology and stuff, but... Being a Gemini, I have to say I'm I I really fit into that mold quite perfectly. So, um, yeah, I am a psychologist. Uh, I was um, I got my PhD in Northwestern in Chicago, then hmm. came to Boston and taught at BU for a while, then went to Harvard Medical School and did a postdoc, and I did all those academic things. But I've always been a singer. And um, even as a kid, I was part of a children's chorus with the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra. And that's where my heart, my soul, my spirit, my, you know, all, all of the things that feel like uh, they make life um, joyful uh, come from my, my, my inner musician. Not, yeah. Know, yeah. So, yeah, I sing. And I have a group called the Fallen Angels with an O. Don't look up Fallen Angels with an A because it's like a porn site. But if you get the Fallen Angels... That, I think that's probably good to know, Hildy. <laughs> Thanks so much that's for that. My, that's not my site. But, um, yeah, so we've, we've, uh, we've done some great things over wait, the years. Anyway. Uh, wait, wait, let, me, let me just ask, where is the O in Fallen Angels? F-O-L-L. F-O-L-L. Thank you. So Fallen. 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 
Fallen in Fallen in. Yeah. Um, okay. Terrific. Yeah. I, I want to hear so much more, but I just got to introduce John here as yeah. well. John Land, it is so great to have you on the Dr. Joe Show. Where are you calling in from? Well, I'm in Providence, Rhode Island. Fall, the other Fallen Angel site, that's mine. <laughs> uh, there, you know, um, uh, I'm, I'm right down the road. I'm in Providence, Rhode Island. Oh, good. Um, if you had a wall, you know, I used to do signings all over New England when, when Walden Books was in business. So I've probably been in your area. If there was oh. a wall with the Walden Books, I was there. So I'm just down the road a little bit. It's so 50 books? How long have you been writing, John? Uh, I actually wrote my first book, God Help Us, It'll Never Be Published, Never Be Read Again. Uh, as a senior thesis at Brown University and when I, in 1978, 79, uh, graduated in 79. Um, so um, since then, yeah, I think it's up to, I think I'm up to 55 books now. I've literally lost count. Um, was that a pun? Wait, that was a pun. Was a what? That was a pun. I've literally lost count. That was a pun. Did you hear that pun? Love it. Literally. Literally. So, uh, I, I'm just fascinated by the process of 55 books, and then how did you begin working with this group? Well, I, I think it, it basically, when you write fiction, you're creating characters. You're, create, you're making up people in your mind, in your imagination. And in nonfiction, you are, you are taking real-life stories um, and making them into taking real stories but putting them into print putting them in a way that people can relate to them so specifically for for this book which is the living room um which i wrote with bonnie uh bonnie adario who is a force of nature um she's not with us tonight because of dental surgery um but bonnie is is head of the go-to foundation i think hildy is on the go-to foundation board um is that correct no no i'm not but we collaborate on okay because so, I thought I, I had seen that in the email. And, and I just want to clarify that Bonnie is not here because she had a dental procedure. Yes, yes. Right? Not that she is not here. No, she's here. Okay. here. Oh, good. Yeah. Right. Well, just good yeah. clarification. Just she, wanted to clarify that. Yes, yeah, she is still um, with us. Okay, good. I had done a book called um, Chasing the Dragon with Bonnie's husband, Tony's cousin, Dan, Dan Adario. Um, and when Dan found out from his cousin Tony, Bonnie's husband, that she was looking interested in writing a book, um, he asked if I would speak to them to see if I could help get them in the right direction. Well, the thing about most people when they want to do a book, if it's a memoir and what they want it to be about their life, in this case, Dr. Joe, the interesting thing was Bonnie wasn't sure what she wanted. Hmm. She wanted to tell a story about lung cancer, about hope, about living with lung cancer instead of dying of it. Mm. But she didn't know how to do it. And in our first conversation, as soon as she told me the story of how she founded the living room, um, a support group where people meet either virtually or in person um, and listen to experts uh, talk about lung cancer and provide treatment options and hope. As soon as she said the words, the living room, I, I saw what we were going to do. I saw the book as the living room. Mm. And I saw it as a way to introduce 
people with all cancers, but particularly lung cancer, to survivors of late stage lung cancer, which is a remarkable achievement in itself that's happening every day. And what I said was in the tradition of the great Studs Terkel, um, the, my, my idol when it comes to nonfiction journalistic writing, let's let let's find 20 people who were survived like Bonnie has herself. Bonnie is a stage 3B survivor of lung cancer. Let's find 20 other survivors and let's tell their stories. Let's let their stories be the book instead of trying to make the book into what we want it to be. And that's how the living room happened. That is just so fascinating. And, and the whole idea of the living room is just such a wonderful image because that's, that's where we spend our days. That's where we enjoy things. But, but it's also, it's interesting because we can also sometimes have memories and things that should actually be in the attic. We can talk about that as well. What are the stories that people can tell when they feel comfortable enough in their living room? So, so John, let me just continue with you for a bit. So did you go and interview these people? Uh, how did you find them? Hildy, how were you involved in this? Where did, where did you find them? Well, Bonnie and I worked together. Um, okay. So although I conducted the formal interviews, these were all people that Bonnie selected from her personal experience. Here's the thing about Bonnie Adario, who's the, who's the named author of the book, but also, as I said, she is a, after she, I say recovered from her stage three lung cancer, um, in her mind, it wasn't enough that she, that she made it. She wanted everyone suffering from this disease to have the same opportunity that she did. And since 2005, when she was first treated, 2004, three, when she was for late 2003, early 04, when she was first diagnosed, she has dedicated her life to making sure that people who, who are diagnosed with lung cancer have the best treatment available, know the right questions to ask. So Bonnie had engaged with all the people at different stages, hmm. uh, you know, because the, we have different, we have one wonderful story, one profile in our book of, Jim Pantelis, Jim Pantelis, who's a 15-year lung cancer survivor. But mm. what's brilliant about these stories is you would think there would be redundancy. You would think there would be repetition, Dr. Joe, but there isn't. Just That's like, interesting. And, and, and Bonnie knows these people, and you'll see her integrated into each chapter with her thoughts and her feelings and, and, and her memories of, of the people and how they dealt with it. But every story is different. And we learn so much, not just about lung cancer, but but humanity and how the, the, the good in people. Um, Jim Pan Pantelis, as an example, received his first infusion for lung cancer, his first chemo treatment, as his wife was giving birth to a daughter who was born severely disabled and, and was going to be a quadriplegic for the rest of her life. Sometimes life piles on. Stella, when I interviewed, when, when we interviewed Jim, all the things he'd been through, Dr. Chip, all, all he'd achieved by, by, by helping others, by becoming an advocate for lung cancer, the thing he was most excited about when we spoke was the fact that they had 
purchased an eye reading machine for Stella, which would allow them, him, he and his wife and their other two daughters to communicate with Stella for the first time in the 13 years she'd been alive. All she was going to be able to say was yes and no or no, but that was a game changer. And Jim also talks about coming back from a chemo treatment during the winter and his driveway was plowed and his walk was shoveled coming back from a radiation treatment in the summer and his lawn was mowed and he never knew who did it, but the good in people, but especially the good in this gentleman, this wonderful man who wanted to talk about his daughter and was beaming about this eye reader machine, which was actually developed for ALS patients that his daughter was now able to say yes and no, which was a game changer. And there are so many stories like that in the book. Another one, because I believe the stories are the best example of how to just, we have a wonderful profile of a gentleman named Hank Basket. And Hank Basket, who is the father of a former NFL football player, uh, Hank Basket Jr., or the third, um, he dealt all his career after retiring from the Air Force as a command sergeant major. So a pretty tough guy, right, Dr. Joe, command sergeant major? He counseled, he was director of, 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 a, of an institute or, uh, you know, an area, something Hildy might have some knowledge of that dealt with sexually and physically abused children. He was a counselor. He was in charge. And he dealt with kids who had been bullied. And he took on the ultimate bully in lung cancer. He faced bullies down who would abuse children, sometimes their own children. And then he faces the ultimate bully. But what he said was, and here's the link, he'd tell kids, you got hurt. It's over now. God got it. God got it. God's got it now. You don't have it anymore. God's got it. And that's the same thing he says about his lung cancer. I don't have lung cancer. God took it away. God's got it now. God's in charge. And every one of the people we interviewed has a different story, has a different approach to how they and Hildy will be able to tell us hers um a different way of a different coping mechanism whether it be family faith friends what what their number one crutch was that allowed them to survive it's truly like dating myself but remembering the old black and white detective show from the 60s called the naked city starring paul burke and every episode would start with him with a cigarette silhouetted against you know, some paper mache backdrop of, of the skyline of Manhattan. And he'd start off by saying, there's six million stories in the Naked City. <laughs> one of them. And that's mm -hmm. what we learned in writing The Living Room. Mm. Inspirational. Hildy, you want to tell us your story? Um, well, I always say, you know, if I can get lung cancer, so can you. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm vigorous. I, you know, um, I live an active life. Um, I'd like to grab life. So it's just in some levels, it's kind of a random situation. Um, and so my, I, <laughs> it sounds funny to say I was lucky, um, to find my lung cancer, but it was true. I, I actually was in the middle of recording uh, a CD 
and um, and so um, I bought a new pair of shoes. I slipped, and that set up this whole random story that's in long form on upstagelungcancer.org, which is our organization that we started. Um, but basically, through a bunch of silly, silly mishaps with doctors and doing the wrong tests and stuff, turned out that I did um, have uh, two tiny tumors, one in my right middle lobe and one in my right lower lobe. Um, and I was very lucky because it was totally found by accident. I just had surgery. It was, so it was 1A, had surgery, and that was it. If I hadn't slipped on the shoes, if all the doctors hadn't made some dumb decisions, thank you, doctors. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe six or seven years later, I would have found it, but at a much more advanced stage. So I said, you know, like, why me? Not like, why, why did it happen to me? But why did I survive? Why was I lucky enough to do that? And that for me, that was the impetus to start upstage lung cancer. I, I at that time, um, was around. I started around 2008. There really was not that much going on in terms of advocacy or um, advocacy organizations. So um, I thought, well, what can I do? And um, I, the one thing I know I can do um, is I can put on a great show. I, I will stand behind anything I produce is a great show. I guarantee you it's fun, it's well done, great performers, perfect. Uh, you don't want to hire me as a secretary or an accountant. Those are things I am horrible <laughs> at. make a bazillion mistakes, but I didn't know I could do that. So um, I started with a good friend of mine, Crispin Weinberg and uh, Susan Gessner. I got them together and I just said, you know, let's do this. So um, it's just been an amazing journey. Uh, you know, with uh, with my organization, and I'd love to tell you more. Well, please t t tell me more about upstage lung cancer. Let's let's hear about it. Oh, did she freeze? Oh, we got. A... Is it just me? No, I see it too. Okay, good. Well, while we're waiting to hear on that cliffhanger of upstage lung cancer, John, you we were saying earlier offline, and we'll and we'll come back to Hildy as soon as she um, on freezes as soon as she sneezes that, that you you do not have cancer and that there you are intimately talking with and learning about folks literally in this living room um hildy's back you back hildy i think i'm back <laughs> good I'm right. back. john put that put that thought on hold you'll, you'll have plenty of time to answer it WATD and Facebook Live listeners, Hildy is back on. Let's hear about upstage lung cancer. Well, what is it? Well, upstage lung cancer, we're a unique organization because um, we exclusively use music and the performing arts to raise awareness about lung cancer, to try to educate the mm. you know the public and um, as well as the lung cancer community in a very palatable way. And we also use our performances as a way of raising funds to, um, to uh, support innovative early detection lung cancer research. That's the most under, um, 
kind of under-examined and under-supported area, and it's often the difference between really um, life and, and, and very, very difficult struggles. So um, I always say it's a little bit like Mary Poppins, a spoonful of um, sugar. Honey. What? Sugar. 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 Honey. Sugar. Spoonful of sugar makes, makes medicine go down. Right. Because if you say, hey, let me tell you a little bit about lung cancer, people will say, oh, I got to catch the bus. But next time, I'd love to hear about it, right? But if you say, I have a concert and we've got great performance, we've had some, we've had tributes to Nat King Cole, Rosemary Clooney, um, Leonard Bernstein, on and on and on, like amazing performers, amazing shows. All of those people, by the way, died of lung cancer. And so once there and they hear this great music, um, we always have a little, you know, a little thread, a little story through our concerts, you know, that help people understand, you know, what the story is about lung cancer. And um, so, um, yeah, we're, we're outside of the box and we've supported some very outside of the box early detection research uh, that I hope will very soon uh, translate into um, inexpensive, easily accessible um, methods uh, for detecting lung cancer early. Right now, um, that's just not present other than a low-dose CT scan if you um, have had years of smoking or, um, you know, um, and you're over, I've forgotten, they've just dropped the age, but let's say over 60 and you've had many years of smoking, then, you know, you can get a low-dose CT scan. But this, this would be something different, which I could go on forever, but, you know. Well, I, the fact that it's easily accessible is really so important so that there are no barriers to care. I'm fascinated by the creative process that is going into this from both of you really, with upstage lung cancer, with, with interviewing people, with creating a living room. Um, and and you, you're telling me the stories are, are so unique and diverse. Is there a common thread, though, between the stories as well? I think... There, John, go ahead. There is definitely a common thread. I think the there is... I mean, hope is one of those. Resilience is, I'd say, the number one, overcoming. Um, the, the one thing all these people, and well, we must include Hildy in that also, is the resilience it takes to when you hear, as Bonnie says, I'm going to quote Bonnie, when you're in a meeting with an oncologist or a doctor or a surgeon, and the, after they say the word, the phrase lung cancer, you don't hear anything else. Because lung cancer is has for so long been a death sentence mm -hmm. um and it was always perceived as the orphan cancer in the sense that you got it because you asked for it you smoke so you got it right a only, huge bias only huge bias. 30 percent of lung cancer patients are smokers yep. the vast majority either gave up smoking decades before decades or it's it is something they just got and they're it's not an old person's disease it's not just a woman's disease young people in their 20s are being diagnosed and what bonnie's what drives bonnie is to let people know that 
uh, they shouldn't be ashamed of having lung cancer. Mm. Bonnie tells a great story about a woman who said, I'm dying, um, I'm dying of lung cancer. Uh, look, smoking is killing me, but I never smoked because people viewed lung cancer. Let's not, they don't, you don't, you don't have to give money to lung cancer because nobody has to get it wrong. Mm -hmm. And what has changed because of people like Bonnie, Adario, the entire web around lung cancer has changed. The greatest drugs in cancer research are now aimed at lung cancer. But here's the great thing, Dr. Joe, and then I'll get back to the question about what unites these people. The drugs that are coming on the market to treat lung cancer, like Keytruda, are now becoming first choice drugs for pancreatic cancer, oral cancer, colon cancer. These are immunotherapies, targeted therapies. What Bonnie will say to a recently diagnosed patient is, get your biomarkers checked. See if you are eligible for one of these cutting edge treatments. And, the, and to that point, perfect segue, another thing that the people we profile in the living room have in common is a desire to give back, a desire to spread what they've learned in their own experience, to become advocates for better treatments, for newer treatments, to, to, to give everyone their phone number. Bonnie Adario is head of the largest lung cancer, co-founder of the largest lung cancer foundation in the world. But if a, any lung cancer patient calls that office and asks to speak to her, she gets on the phone or she calls back within a very short period of time. She talks to everybody because again, she, this is, and, and I think Bonnie does this for people and then they go on to do it for others, Dr. Joe. Mm -hmm. I was going to just, you know, th I, that's absolutely true about Bonnie. And, um, you know, I think she obviously selected 20 people in this book for a reason. And I think um, the important thing here is not everyone's going to react to lung cancer in the same way. Correct. Not everyone is going to feel resilient. Not everyone is going to feel courageous. Not everyone is going to feel they have a support system. Not everyone is going to be in the same boat. But these 20 people, you know, I'm sure she's selected because they can be an inspiration. So I think it's important for people who may be affected by lung cancer or any cancer or their families, if they don't feel like, oh, I'm going to go out there and do this and I'm going to do this and that, that they're not second-class citizens, you know. Right. You know, I think it's what you were saying, Dr. Joe. We try to do the best we people try to do the best that we can. We don't right. always do our best, but I think for the most part, if you're feeling, you know, um, like life has just knocked you on your can, yeah, um, that's how you know you just do the best you can. So I just wanted to say, the book is an inspiration, and that's why it's so important. And I think. Um, Bonnie and I share a lot. We, we we loved each other instantaneously and continue to. And um, we're both like no nonsense, like we're going to make this happen, people. And, um, you know, she's done like an enormous job. Upstage Lung Cancer is a smaller organization and very focused on these, you know, on, again, trying to bring information 
reduce stigma because again you have celebrity and then you have stigma so if you put them together it kind of neutralizes the stigma a bit and um and so i i think i was telling dr joe before we we also at stage lung cancer we started a podcast series ourselves this year and um um, I'm hoping people who are listening to this podcast, which is wonderful, um, will tune in to uh, Backstage at Upstage. Um, and that Backstage at Upstage is on all the podcast platforms, but it's also on Upstage Lung Cancer's um, website. So that can make it easy too. But so we've had one of, so of the five that are out so far, one has been on Snap. And part of it is just what you've been talking about, which is cigarettes. The American, um, you know, Lung Association, uh, you know, it's, you know, started out with good intentions, which is don't smoke and get lung cancer. But the inadvertent, you know, side effect from that or the impact was, well, if you smoke, you'll get lung cancer. If you don't smoke, you won't get lung cancer. And if you smoke and get lung cancer, shame on you it's your fault so we had a great discussion about about uh about stigma we also had one on uh about celebrities and jordan rich uh from wbz radio and um and i uh talked about and with rondella chiesa they're both yeah. like very well known i love them both great great radio personalities and we just talked a lot about celebrities who faced lung cancer and and actually lost their battle larry king being one of the more recent ones but paul newman and other folks mm -hmm. so that was a great show too and yeah so we talked about pharma are they friend or are they foe um we did mm -hmm. one with i thought i sort of heard that one of your um your sponsors was candy o'terry um, she was one of my first guests, she and Joyce Polhaywick, and we discussed finding joy. Hmm. So, like everybody, I think that's in everybody's purview. Like, how do you each day find a way to find joy in life? So, uh, yeah. So, and then one of, the other one is uh, too young to get lung cancer? No, as John was saying, uh, sadly, younger people are getting lung cancer. And, and finally, this coming Tuesday, we're going to launch our next podcast, which is about biomarkers. And and everybody listening to this podcast tonight um, should know about biomarkers because if you or someone you know, someone in your family is diagnosed with cancer, any kind, make sure you ask about getting biomarker testing so that um, you can get the best um, options for for treating that cancer which targets that cancer directly so right. yeah. yeah i think i think the biomarker field in cancer is is way way more advanced than in psychiatry um it's much more difficult to figure out through biomarkers which medicine really you should use for depression because it's so much more complicated but the biomarkers for cancer, absolutely, it is such an important tool so you can target the treatment that will give you the best chance. Absolutely. Well, but it's also different because we're looking at genetic mutations mm -hmm. um, of a tumor. Right. Whereas with depression, there's no, you know, we're not 
you don't have a solid tumor that you can take a biopsy and say, aha, exactly. that's why you have depression. I mean, exactly. Exactly right. Exactly. You know, there, there are so many layers to this, the, the stigma that you're talking about. There's no question that, you know, the, the idea of if you smoke, you get cancer, so don't smoke. It doesn't mean, as you're saying, that if you get cancer, it's because you smoked. And yet that was the way the whole thing is twisted around. We work a lot in, in um, addressing stigma. Uh, because stigma, that's why I don't even use the word disorder. Because disorder separates people into two groups. One group that is ordered and one group that is not. Right. And that's, that's certainly, and then we're astonished we have stigma. The other part I want to come back to is what you're talking about with giving back to other people and how that actually creates biochemical changes where you decrease a stress hormone called cortisol and cortisol is inhibiting everything about healing. Cortisol increases your blood pressure. It's going to make your heart race different ways. It will retain weight on you because the stress hormone, ancient stress hormone thinks there must be a famine coming up. That's why I'm feeling stressed. There's going to be a famine. So you begin slowing down your metabolism of fats. So you have obesity, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, all these different things that go along with stress. But when you give back to someone, you create a different chemical, oxytocin, not oxycontin, oxytocin, that feeling you get when someone says you're amazing. And that's a healing chemical that helps heal. So I am not surprised that the people that Bonnie has chosen are ones who are giving back and who are still here, still here, giving back, feeling good about it. And I say this from, from a whole different venue of substance use treatment, because that's exactly what we use and teach our folks. When you give back to someone, you're actually going to be increasing your oxytocin levels, and that's going to feel better than anything. Well, I think... When you talk about specifically, let, let, let's use that as a jumping off point. Um, positive thinking is, is kind of what you're getting at. Helping others, buying a, having a dog, anything that, that generates positivity. Um, in the book, another person that Bonnie and I interviewed and profiled, uh, Emily Taylor, you know, who was stage four, never smoked. But all through her treatment, she wanted to have children. And mm. everything she did, was aimed at when I recover, I'm going to have twins. I'm going to have, she turned out, she ended up with twins uh, <laughs> through a surrogate. But everything she did, every decision she made regarding treatment was, I am going to be a mother. <laughs> so she set her sights on a goal and she didn't let lung cancer change the idea that she would have children. She wasn't going to deny herself this wonderful gift that people who aren't who aren't necessarily riddled with cancer have. And I think what we're learning about lung cancer, and this is where Bonnie comes in so important, so vitally, is lung cancer is a disease you can live with and not die of. Hilton yeah. makes a great point. Not everyone. Not everyone. But compared to where we are, Today in 2021, 
compared to where we were in 2003, late 2003, when Bonnie was first diagnosed. If we make the same strides in the next 18 years that we have made in these 18 years, lung cancer will be an entirely manageable disease. No different than diabetes. No different than allergies. I know, obviously, a lot more serious, but it will, again, it will be something you die with and not die of. So the future, if we continue on this track, if, if the Bonnie Adarios of the world continue to get out there and, and become advocates and not be an antagonist to Big Pharma, but one of the things I've learned in this book, Big Pharma are the good guys. They're the ones out there making these drugs at a cost of hundreds of millions of dollars. Many of them, oftentimes they don't get it back, but they're out there doing it, working with people like Bonnie to develop new protocols, new immunotherapies to get people healthy again. Hilda, you wanted to say something to that? I was going to say, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but, you know, it takes a billion dollars to get a drug to market, a billion dollars. And so that's why I love this one podcast that we did. Um, because we had somebody from pharma, we had an advocate from pharma, and we had a woman whose husband had um, GI cancer and was helped so much by the pharmaceutical company. Um, they wanted her input. Um, they're almost every one of these um, large pharmaceutical companies have um, options for people who cannot afford drugs to turn to them and get some assistance. And so, yeah, we're, we're in, we live in a world of black and white. You're red, you're blue. You're good, you're bad. You're up, you're down. So I think just looking at all the, the subtleties and the facets of, of um, you know, of, of all these issues is just so important. So it's great having these kinds of podcasts where these kinds of conversations can happen and, and people can think more deeply about it. Yeah, I hope so. And, you know, I, I know that I'm a punster and I, this is not an intended pun. I just want to warn you. But what you're talking about with Big Pharma is the same stigma that's applied to them, that's applied to people with cancer, that's applied to people with substance use. Human beings, unfortunately, and I, this is the bad pun, it's not meant to be a pun, are lumpers, okay? We lump people into groups. And you're absolutely right. The pharmaceutical companies that are working on saving people by developing medications for cancer that cost them billions of dollars up front are not to be lumped in with the pharmaceutical companies who may have contributed to the opioid crisis. Okay, because the motivation is different. And the motivation of the opioid crisis initially was really to help with pain, but they didn't tell people the truth about the addictive potential. If you just said the truth, it would not have been as hard because people at least then could prepare something. So I could not agree with you more about being an advocate for pharmaceutical companies that are truly trying to help other people. Let's not stigmatize everyone just because there's one bad apple. You know, there's the idea. It may be a bad apple. It doesn't mean the tree is bad. You know, it's an apple. I, I mean, 
Dr. Joe, I might add that another of the people that Bonnie and I profiled in the living room, Matt Hisney, was diagnosed with lung cancer at 26. He was, hmm. he was a medical student. And the reason I raised Matt is because years later, after he had, you know, had fought cancer, many of the people profiled in the book didn't win, didn't fight. This goes to what Hildy was saying. They didn't win one battle. They won three, four, five battles, different times where they had ups and downs and had to go on new drugs. With Matt Hisney, one of the great moments in the entire book, he got to meet the researcher who developed the drug that saved his wow. life. Wow, it's incredible. It's a video, so cool. and, and this is the thing. And, and, and um, it's one of my favorite moments, and I call them moments because they are. One of my favorite moments in the book is, is, is that paragraph where we talk about that. That's fantastic. You know, we, the show revolves, the Dr. Joe show revolves around the I am approach, the idea we're always doing the best we can, influenced by four domains. Our home, social domain, which is the rest of the world, biological domain, which we are talking a lot about right now, and the I see, how I see myself, how I think other people see me. We've been talking about the interaction with all four domains, talking about cancer. But because the domains interact, a small change can have a big effect. So I'm going to start with you, Hildy. What small change can you recommend to our listeners who may be struggling with cancer or who know somebody who is? I guess the thing that comes to mind for me, especially living in this pandemic, um, we're isolated, it's a difficult time. I, I would say try to do one nice thing for someone else. <laughs> that yeah. doesn't have to be gigantic, but just, you know, each day try to think about, you know, is there one nice thing that I can do? That's, yeah. that's, that's what I would say. Great. And John, the same question for you, but with a slightly different spin, because Thankfully, you know, you are not struggling or survivor of cancer, but you got a chance to meet them. As someone without cancer, talking to the people who do not have cancer, what small change can you recommend to them? Take pleasure in simple things. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's something I've learned a lot. I mean, it's something that I've thought about a lot with this book. I know people that the only thing that makes them happy is a new $200,000 car. Mm -hmm. or a new beach house. For me, one of the things I love about Amazon is ordering things that I could really use this, but it doesn't cost $200,000. <laughs> Maybe it costs ten. Maybe it costs fifteen. And I, I'm so excited the next day when the package shows up. It's like, I can't wait to get... It's almost like Christmas, you know, being a little kid and how you feel on Christmas morning, opening your presents with things that wouldn't move you at all take pleasure and celebrate and enjoy the simplest things simple things value the things take nothing for granted you know every every time you're together with your closest friends as we get older it doesn't happen as much value those moments enjoy those moments and treat them like they are like it may only yeah act like today you're living the day that may be the last one you ever live hildy you you look like you want to say something uh, i do i just wanted to i kind of wanted to answer john's question the one you posed to him okay and the small change i would say is if you don't 
if you're not experiencing that, you know, you know, cancer right now, if you have some kind of symptom that seems unusual, um, and you think to yourself, oh, maybe I shouldn't bother, maybe I shouldn't go to the doctor, maybe the doctor will think I'm complaining, the small changes, check it out, in your life. And I think both of you, I'm going to answer this for you, I don't usually, you control no one, you influence everyone. I can tell you that the influence that you are having on this entire audience, but also anybody who's out there with cancer or knows someone, it's a wonderful influence. I really appreciate it. Folks, thanks so much for being here. We'll be back next week with the Dr. Joe Show. Tune in.